Hello. Welcome to the Brookings Cafeteria, a place where Brookings scholars discuss ideas about and solutions for the most pressing public policy challenges. I'm Fred Dews. A bleak picture and a crisis of significant proportions. That's how Lisbeth Steer and Hafez Ghanem describe the plight of youth in the Arab world and their new study on education in that region. While more and more children globally are gaining access to education, Ghanem and Steer ask whether children are learning the skills they need to succeed in today's world, and if not, what can be done about it? Well, thank you both for joining me on this podcast today. I'd like to start by uh, letting you both introduce yourselves. Yes, I am Lisbeth Steer. I am a fellow at the Center for Universal Education here at Brookings. I'm Hafez Gadeb. I'm a senior fellow here at Brookings. Actually, I work uh, on the Arab economies. Okay. And you're, uh, you're both co-authors, uh, along with uh, Mesa Jalbaut, of the uh, Arab World Learning Barometer. Uh, and that's, that'll be the focus of our conversation today. Uh, Lisbeth, could you briefly tell us what the Arab World Learning Barometer is? Yes, well, it's a mouthful, but it is a actually a very simple tool that tries to bring together information on the state of education in the Arab world. And it um, includes four areas. One is um, access to education, whether children are getting into school. Secondly, are children staying in school? Are they completing their education? Thirdly, um, what are they actually learning when they're in school? And then finally, how do they do when they transition to the labor market? Last year, I interviewed uh, our colleague Rebecca Winthrop about access to education and also learning. And uh, she and your report here draw a big distinction between the two. Hafez, do you want to speak to that? There's access, but then there's also what kids are learning. Uh, Sure. And actually, up to now... Uh, our focus, the focus of the international community and everybody working on development has been on access. Right. Uh, that we wanted uh, to increase the uh, access to education. Mm-hmm. We wanted all kids to be in education. And that has been uh, our focus so far. And if you look at the uh, uh, all, all the, the development goals have been in terms of percentages of children who are actually attending right. school. The Millennium Development millennium Goals. Development goal goals, yeah. uh, now, it, on the other hand, uh, we are now realizing that's not enough uh, to take, right. get the kids to school. We, we have to make sure that they're learning and that, they're, they're, uh, that they're, the quality of education is important. So uh, we are now moving from a focus on quantity uh, to a focus on quality. In, in your research, uh, what's the good news? Well, I think um, there is certainly some good news on the access side. Um, they, uh, we can see that about 90%, let's say, of children are now getting into school, and that's, that's a real achievement. We are also seeing some really good news in terms of the completion uh, rates, especially at primary level. And that's also... Um, a a real achievement um, in the Arab world as a whole. Actually, it's sort of progressed from about 80% to 90% of children who are completing their education Um, in the last decade. um, It's it's actually better than, for example, sub-Saharan Africa, where there's actually been some slipping um, of of completion rate. So so that's that's certainly been uh, some good news. The other uh, good news is that 
um, children or girls are getting more access to school as well. And that has been a particularly big problem in the Arab world. Uh, disparities between uh, uh, girls and boys have been right. traditionally quite quite. Uh, large. There's been a lot of progress in this area, but still, um, actually, the region is one of the worst in the world. Well, I definitely want to come back to um, the gender issues, the girls, um, but let's take off on the uh, the bad news now. Um, <laughs> do you want to address that, Hafez? Sure. Uh, well, the, the bad news has been on the quality side, and that is not uh, surprising because the focus has been really on quantity and on improving access. And now what, what we are finding is that the children are not learning. And actually the uh, resu results are, are, are quite uh, devastating, I would say. I mean, none of, uh, in terms of the, uh, uh, of measurements of quality of education, in terms of the international tests, uh, for looking at uh, uh, do, do the children learn how to read or write? Uh, do the children learn how to add and subtract some uh, basic arithmetic? And, and we find that in none of the countries, that uh, none of the Arab countries that did this test, do they achieve the average. They're all b way below average. Now, if you calculate <coughs> children who are not learning, because they, are, they go to school and they're not uh, uh, getting uh, much for education. And the children who drop out uh, and the children who uh, are, are not going to school, we, we calculate that roughly uh, that more than half of Arab children are, uh, are not learning. So th that is really the, uh, very bad news. It, it, uh, it is different from one country to the mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. we, we have uh, in, in a country like Yemen, for example, you have more than 90% of the children are not learning. Even though they might be in school, if, even, they're even not though, learning. Yes, yeah. even though they might be in school, they are not learning. Even in a very rich country like Qatar, which has a per capita income, uh, which is one of the highest in the world, a little bit less than half uh, of the children are not learning. About 48 or 47% okay. of children are not learning. And so this really needs to be the focus for the future. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not dependent on national income. It varies across the region. Yeah, that is, that is true. And that's also one of the, the key findings in the report is that if you compare the performance of the region and, and the countries with other countries of similar income status or, or uh, spending, the region is doing much worse. So, for example, uh, Hafiz was mentioning Qatar. Um, half of the children um, are not learning or half are learning compared to Singapore, which has the same level of income approximately. Actually, Qatar is richer. Um, in Singapore, 99% of children are learning. So okay. it's a huge difference. One data point that I, I noted that I found surprising was that in Jordan, uh, its primary school enrollment dropped about five percentage points over the period of the study. And then I thought, well, what about Syria? I know that your study doesn't cover Syria. Jordan and Syria are, are bordering countries. Is there, uh, is there even worse news coming out of the region now because of what's happening in Syria? One would assume that. I mean, we don't have the data. Mm obviously, and it would be very difficult to get data out of uh, Syria right now. But the uh, uh, it would seem rather clear that uh, in a conflict situation like what we're seeing in Syria, children cannot go to school. Right. And therefore, uh, in terms of just uh, school attendance must have dropped. 
And certainly, also even for those who are able to go to school, the quality of education must ha- must have dropped because uh, uh, access to teachers, access to books, uh, and, mm-hmm. and all of all of those other things that are very important for an education must be very difficult to get under uh, uh, such uh, conditions. Mm-hmm. And experience all around the world have shown the cost uh, of conflict. Well, let's talk about some of the factors that affect the quality of education. Uh, Hafez, do you want to speak to that? Yes. Well, uh, there are. uh, uh, I would like to first repeat the point that Lisbeth made, which is: it is not the problem is not money. Actually, when we look at the Arab countries. Uh, in terms of their education expenditures, whether uh, spending per student or spending as a percentage of GDP, they they, they are spending the same as other countries around the world, but they're not getting the results. So it has to it so it it has to do with the efficiency of spending and with the way they are organized, rather than the amount of money that they're putting in there. Now. We have found there are several issues. Uh, one important problem is availability of teachers. Uh, the, there is a, a teacher gap in, in the Arab world, which is actually uh, the only other region in the world that has a, uh, that has a bigger gap is sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. So uh, just getting uh, both uh, the number of teachers up and the quality of the teachers and then we also uh, th- there is a, an issue of accountability in many countries yemen for example i mean that could explain some of the bad results that we're seeing from yemen uh, uh, teacher absenteeism is very high teachers do not show up at school and they are not being held accountable for the results and the outcomes so those are some of the uh, reasons why we we are not seeing th- the results Let's move on to the, the gender disparities that you talked about. Uh, and you had the term in your report that goes with the uh, Arab learning, Arab world learning barometer called the boomerang dynamic for girls. I thought that was fascinating. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, certainly. Um, it is a, a fascinating phenomenon because we talked earlier about um, the improvements that have been made in getting girls into school. Right. So um, we are seeing better results, but the disparities still exist in terms of them getting into school. But what we noticed was that once they are in school, they seem to be performing better than boys. So we have girls are transitioning at higher rates from primary to secondary education, and they are also learning more. Um, so they perform better on the, on the tests. But then when they complete their education, they get into the labor market. And again, we see a huge disparity and discrimination against them. So, uh, for example, in Tunisia, uh, we found that um, about 45 percent of boys participate in the labor market versus just over 20 percent of girls. Um, unemployment rates um, are much higher for women. I think it's about 35% um, versus uh, 27 for uh, boys. So, and, and in some countries, these, these disparities are, are even bigger. So that's obviously a concern. You have a very striking quote about what's happening in Egypt. Uh, you said 45% of poor rural women in Egypt have less than two years of education compared to only 1% 
of rich yes. urban men. Yes. So what are the implications of a disparity like that or about the other ones that you cited? Well, the, 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 there are implications, uh, social implications, uh, and there are also economic implications. Let me start with the obvious economic implications. Uh, you are, we're looking at countries where now girls' education are more or less the same as, uh, as boys. So uh, the, the, uh, those countries are investing in the gir uh, girls' education. Then we see that those girls uh, uh, are not participating in the labor market. So only 22% of women in Tunisia. On average, for the Arab countries as a whole, it's 25% of women who participate in the labor market. Uh, this is the lowest in the mm. world. Out of those women who participate, many of them do not find jobs. The female unemployment ratios in a place like Egypt or Saudi Arabia is close to 50%. Mm. So it means one out of every two women who are trying to find a job is not finding one. So that, that means uh, you're teaching the girls, then only 25% go into the labor market, and that, and out of those, this 25%, only half of them actually get jobs. So only 12.5% of all your women whom you have educated and invested in are getting jobs. So that is a huge waste in terms of resources, in terms of human capital, and in terms of economic development. Obviously, there, there are also uh, human rights issues and, and, and social issues that maybe uh, you want to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, yeah, I, I think there are obvious social issues, but I, I think, um, I think there are a lot of issues that we, um, that we haven't really wrapped our heads around. And I think they relate to culture, obviously, as well. Um, and we, we need to approach these very carefully uh, because some societies uh, make choices with respect to the degree to which their women right. uh, participate in, in, the, in the labor market or not. But for me, the point is actually even more in the fact that for those that actually have chosen to participate – they don't find the, the disparities in the unemployment rates. Because if we were to say, okay, let's accept that those women who choose not to be in the labor market, that's sort of their right kind of thing. But if they then enter the labor market, then they should be given an equal opportunity, but they also don't get equal opportunities. Uh, the unemployment rates are, are much higher. I'm hesitant to, to push too far into the culture and religion arena. But I think it's, it raises some important questions for some people who would look at the, the Arab world or maybe other places in the world, but the Arab world in particular, and say, well, um, look at the culture, look at the religion, look at the way they, they treat women, lack of political freedom. Uh, how, how much do these things explain some of the gender disparities in particular, but also the, the quality of education issues? And how much is it more structural issues, curriculum, teachers, institutions, data, which we should come back to in a minute? Well, there is probably a bit, a bit in both, of both. There is, uh, uh, the, 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 the structural issues are important, and we cannot, uh, uh, as you said, the curriculum, the quality of the teachers, and so on, these are important issues. But also, there, there are uh, cultural uh, issues that are, affect the quality of, uh, of education. Uh, for, for example, uh, uh, as Elizabeth was, was uh, mentioning, the uh, female participation. That, that, that there is clearly a cultural uh, issue there. But what I always say is that cultures do evolve and mm -hmm. cultures do change. Mm -hmm. 
and it's on on the gender equality issue it is we 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 see the, we see different results across the region so not all countries <laughs> are at this are at the same level in that so that shows that there there are variations within this a very similar culture and cultures need need to adapt to the realities of of the 21st century the fact of the matter is that in order to have uh, and develop uh, a middle class, most middle class families need two earners. It's, it's very hard to, to imagine a middle class family in Egypt or in Tunisia with only one earner. Or in the United States. Or, or in the United <laughs> States. So, so those are all re- realities that, uh, that have to be faced and the culture has uh, uh, to evolve uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, to deal with them. Let's switch over to that data question because a lot of these issues, uh, you, you have to look at the data and you make comparisons, uh, but, uh, and from that, develop policy solutions for these issues. But obviously, uh, you have some issues with data availability that you cite in the, in the report. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, that was for us actually quite disappointing because as good researchers, we set out and thought we would get a, uh, a lot of data and would be able to dig in very deeply. Um, we found that of the 20 countries that we were uh, considering um, in our work, about 13 had done international learning assessments either at primary or at a secondary level. But only seven of the 20 had done assessments at both primary and secondary level. So you're already starting with, um, yes, a lack of data on the, on the quality aspect. Then when we looked at um, more basic data, even on enrollment, which is now really collected widely um, in, in developing countries, partly because of the Millennium Development Goals, because there's a real push around uh, uh, collecting that kind of data, even that uh, was in, in some cases not available. And then it goes on into the employment data, labor force participation data. And um, this is something we would like to look into a little more uh, in the future as well, spending, spending data. In the end, if you want to make decisions um, and policymakers want to make uh, choices and improvements, we'll, we'll need to know how much we're actually spending and what that, that money is buying us. For the moment, we, we don't. I want to go back to labor force participation. Uh, There's some very interesting findings that you talk about, and and one of them has to do with the public sector, with the formal sector, with the informal sector. Uh, First of all, uh, what is the formal sector? What is the informal sector? Well, this is a very difficult question uh, because there are many shades of informality. I I can give you an example. Uh, the the for, uh, the definition of what is a formal sector in Egypt, for example, a formal company has to do four things: it has to have a registration, it has to have a business license, it, it needs to have a tax uh, number, and it needs to have accounts. Now, when we, when I did a survey of the small companies in Egypt, uh, most of them had one or two of those things, so they were. Not uh, so. N- n- I, we didn't see. I didn't find many that were 
completely informal. That is that they have no registration or anything at all. Uh, that would be around 15% only were completely informal. And the same thing on the other side, uh, completely formal ones were only also 10 or 15%. So most of the small companies uh, in those countries are somewhere operate in a gray area where they uh, apply some of the regulations and laws and do not apply others. Now, what is very what is common about all of those uh, companies is that uh, they tend to be uh, very uh, very low productivity uh, operations uh, in the in the service areas. They tend to be uh, not to be linked to a national market or to an international market. They tend to be very local. Uh, like a, a small, very small cafe or uh, mm-hmm. or a laundry or, or whatever, with a v- very very low productivity, and they provide very low wages, right? Because the productivity is is so low, and what what we have found is that in many cases, uh, y- young people uh, uh, or most of new entrants into the labor market end up working in the informal sector because there aren't enough formal sector jobs. Now. I would like to link that to education because one one of the problems with the curriculum and with the way the education system in those countries has been organized is that it uh, is that it is focused on what we call rote learning learning things by heart uh, and it is sort of a system that that has not evolved over time it's sort of a system that has been uh, designed to produce uh, i would say bureaucrats or government employees uh, uh, it, it does not encourage uh, or, or develop what I would call 21st century skills like problem solving, uh, uh, being uh, imaginative, mm-hmm. risk taking, uh, teamwork. So those are all the kinds of skills that are needed today to uh, 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 to be able to be competitive uh, in the labor market. And many of those uh, young people who, who are going to school, studying, getting their diplomas, do not have those skills. And they end up being very, very frustrated, right? Because you 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 do you do your studies, you get your diploma, you believe that you are uh, that you have done everything that you are supposed to do, and th- and then you find then you find yourself at a disadvantage and unable to compete uh, in the labor market, unable to get a good job, and and that uh, creates a lot of frustration and unhappiness. So, can we tie that into? Uh, the Arab Spring, the unrest that's been happening for the past few years, what are the connections between the issues that you've been talking about in the Arab World Learning Barometer and the political issues? They're clearly very, uh, very uh, closely linked. In, in, in the, the Arab Spring, the Arab revolutions had political as well as economic uh, uh, demands. The, the young uh, uh, men and women in, in Tahrir Square or in Bourguiba Avenue in Tunis were uh, asking for uh, liberty, social justice, and human dignity. So you see that there is liberty and human dignity are political demands. Bread social justice are uh, economic demands. And uh, and the fact that most of those young men and women who started the revolts were educated, I think, uh, I, I think reflects what I've been saying before, is that we, we have, you, there are people who went to school but who did not acquire 
the skills that allow them to compete in the market, and they end up being quite frustrated. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I personally believe, I think Lisbeth agrees with me, that going forward, if we want to develop more inclusive political system, more inclusive economic systems, you, uh, the reform of education has to be at the heart uh, of this process. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll quote from your report. You say that uh, this is a bleak picture in a crisis of significant proportions. So what's the next step? What can be done? What are you going to do with this, <laughs> with this research? I think putting the data out there is, an, is a first important outs- a step to raise awareness about the issue. Um, we actually also launched this report in the region, um, and um, I think the response is, even though I guess people kind of know having the data there, um, you see a lot of reaction. We get um, we get questions from the press about it. Um, how is how are how is Oman doing? How is this country doing? So I think just getting the getting the conversation going. In terms of what we then actually do about the problem, I think that's certainly the next step. What we've done in this report is really lay the foundations and 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 put the data out there. And we've also suggested a few areas that um, we think uh, could be explored uh, to try and address um, this crisis. And um, it, it, there's five of them, at least there's five that we mentioned there. Um, the first one is um, early childhood education. Um, and we, we put that there because there isn't a lot of evidence that shows that um, Getting children ready to learn uh, is very important uh, for later learning outcomes. So addressing that, the Arab world at the moment has a, an early childhood enrollment rate of only 20%, so very few children have access to to early childhood education. The second one is what Hafiz was mentioning before, the number and quality of teachers. We know we have a lot of work to do there. Um, Thirdly, um, the, engaging the private sector in in both the, the debate and the shaping of the reforms around the education system because the, the skills um, that the children acquire in the school need to be relevant to their la- later work life. The surveys have shown that that forty percent of of firms in the in the formal private sector are find are, say that skills are a significant barrier to firm growth. So, getting the the private sector engaged is is, is really important. Addressing the data issues because those will be really fundamental to just think about the problem and think about solutions and monitoring progress. And then finally. Um, thinking about solutions for those children in conflict. Um, you mentioned Syria earlier. Uh, there are about a million children today that are in neighboring countries that have fled Syria, and those kids are currently not getting an education. So we need to think as an international community um, what more we can do to try and support those children because generally um, humanitarian uh, assistance doesn't focus uh, that much on, on education right. and that needs to change. There's a lot of effort to try and change that too. Hafez, do you want to add anything to the next steps? I, I think w- one of the uh, important uh, issues also has, has to be on rethinking the curriculum. 
rethinking the curricula and making sure that uh, what uh, the children are being taught and the way they are being taught is consistent mm-hmm. with uh, with the changes in the world that they're uh, that that they're it is really linked to the uh, labor market and 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 and, and to their future uh, i believe that this is important although in the short run i mean the, to deal with the actual crisis you need to teach the kids to read and write and to add and subtract and that requires bringing the right teachers into the classroom and making sure that they spend enough time with the with the, with, with the kids but beyond that once you go into secondary education university education there is really a need to consider the, the, the curriculum well uh, this has been a very interesting conversation I thank you both uh, and I wish you continued success in the research and building upon this platform that you have thank you very much thank you thanks Learn more about the research at brookings.edu slash Arab learning. And don't forget to subscribe to the Brookings Cafeteria on iTunes.